0: What if you could be doing something smarter with your money that creates income right now if you're an it professional who's wanting to get ahead financially and enjoy greater freedom of choice and if you wondered who else in tech is creating ways to make their money work for them and you want actionable ideas with honest pros and cons and no fluff welcome to the richer geek podcast we're helping it professionals find creative ways to build wealth and financial freedom I'm your host, Nicole Stoller, and in this podcast, you'll hear from others who are already doing these things and learn how you can too. Welcome back to the Richer Geek Podcast. Right around the time that Mike and I were about to buy our first hotel, I read an excellent book on all the tax strategies that are available to real estate investors. So it's not that we didn't know that there were a lot of tax benefits from real estate investing. And obviously we saw a lot of those benefits for several years. It's just that we hadn't really been paying attention and we were going to a CPA that was more of a
1: generalist.
0: After I read that book, my eyes were kind of opened and I've realized that going to a generalist when you're investing in real estate is probably not the best idea. And we like we missed a lot of opportunities to save on our taxes. So I ended up hiring today's guest. Basically, I asked for assistance in auditing our previous returns, looking for missed opportunities, and then also some advice on go to strategies. There were so many things that came out of that dialogue and that assistance that uh, we couldn't have continued and been as successful as we have been without that help. So I am so excited to introduce Amanda Han from Keystone CPAs show. And a little bit of background is that Amanda has over 18 years experience as a CPA with a special emphasis in real estate, self-directed investing and individual tax planning. Amanda has a lot of cutting edge strategies and she wrote that book that I just talked about and she's been featured in publications such as Time Magazines Online, BiggerPockets.com and Realtor Magazine.
1: Amanda, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me on today, Nicole. I'm really excited to be here because uh, I love talking about real estate and tax strategies. It's uh, one of my main passions. So glad to be here.
0: And I am so glad to have connected with you several, you know, a couple of years ago. It's just been, it's so amazing. And I'm excited to share with our listeners some of the amazing tax strategies that are available. So maybe we could start with just telling us a little bit about Keystone CPA and your overall areas of specialty, et cetera.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that should be fairly easy. So uh, we have one area of expertise um, that we specialize in, and it's actually in real estate. So uh, I think probably like a lot of our listeners on the call, I actually uh, didn't start out in real estate. Um, my, although my grandparents and my parents were real estate investors, uh, they taught me to take the traditional route, you know, go to a good college, I mean, do good in school, go to a good college and um, you know, then get a good job, which is what I did. Uh, fortunately, though, I got a, a job as a tax accountant in one of the big four accounting firms in the real estate group. So, for the first several years of if my, um, you know, my role as a CPA, what we did was tax planning and tax returns for uh, high net worth individuals that that dealt in real estate. And so, um, you know, one day I was reading a book, uh, which some of you might have heard of Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And uh, something clicked for me, I realized, wow, it's the real estate investors are able to use that to save a ton of money in taxes. And so that's when my husband, Matt, and I started to shift the way that we look at our money, our investments, um, and started getting into tax. So we've been fortunate in that Um, we love real estate and we have an expertise in tax planning and we're able to kind of combine the two. Um, so, you know, and I always tell people too, I love working with our clients because uh, I teach them strategies about taxes and they teach me strategies about investing. (laughs) So it's, it's, um, you know, really fortunate to have that. So yeah, we work with investors all over the U S, um, mainly looking at ways to use real estate as an investment vehicle, not just to grow your wealth, but also to reduce or control um, how much taxes we pay every year.
0: And I love that because we, our audience listeners are W-2 income earners, and they probably haven't thought about ways that even if they have real estate property, other things, other advantages that they could, they could leverage to reduce those taxes. So in that scenario where listeners are working full time, what are some of the benefits you would highlight uh, for real estate investing?
1: Yeah. Well, I would just say, I mean, real estate income is like any other income we generate, right? So as a W-2 earner, um, outside of taxes, we always want to start creating additional income Um, so that we're not tied to our W-2, right? Because if we get sick or we have to take care of a sick family member, we want to have additional money coming in. So real estate is really great for that. Um, But if it's taxable, then rental income is taxed just like any other income. So one of the major benefits of real estate versus stock investments, for example, is the ability to deduct real estate expenses. You know, When you invest in the stock portfolio, um, you really don't have too much expenses, the write-offs that you can do, and that's different in terms of real estate because real estate, the IRS treats invest, real estate investors the same as the same way they treat uh, business owners, which means now all of a sudden you're able to take tax write-offs just like if you actually owned a business, and that's actually one of the most common mistakes I see all the time is investors don't think of themselves as business owners. So I often come across people who say, well, I invest in real estate or I'm buying real estate, um, but I, I didn't know I can write this off. You know, I didn't know I can write off a home office or I didn't know I can write off some of my travel or um, I bought some real estate books. Um, and a lot of the, the common misconception around that is people are under the assumption that, again, real estate is not a business. Therefore, I can't write anything off. Or maybe I don't have a legal entity. That's why I'm not writing things off. And both of those are actually incorrect if you uh, are in the if you are a real estate investor generally what that means is you can start to write off a lot of these legitimate expenses we talked about you know home office travel education things like that um, because now you're a business owner so that's one of the main benefits of um, investing in real estate versus some other you know more maybe more traditional things such as stocks bonds and mutual funds.
0: Even from there, uh, your book goes into some more detailed ways that you can, I can't remember how to say that, like you can, you can pay your family members, you can have your kids work for you. Can you describe a little bit of that, about that?
1: Yeah. So, so in terms of maximizing expenses, I think, you know, for, for any of our listeners who are already real estate investors, I think most of, most people are deducting the common expenses that investors have. So, you know, property management fees, mortgage interest, property taxes. Those are things I don't often see missed. What I see missed more often are the legitimate expenses that are not necessarily property specific. So like we said, you know, maybe you have a home office that you work from to manage your real estate. It's not specific to Main Street property or Fremont Street property, but it's a general real estate expense. Just like if you go to Costco and you're writing, you know, you're buying paper or highlighters, not necessarily for one property or another but it's still with respect to your you know real estate investment as a whole those are things that we see most often um, that i think makes sense to to track and um the other thing we look at is how do we shift If we look at the money that we're spending anyways on things that we are already using, how can we legitimately turn those from a personal non-deductible expense into a legitimate business deduction? And so that's where some of the concepts of, okay, well, what do we spend money on? Our kids, right? The older your kids, the more expensive they are. And so... Um, normally people might say, well, how can I write off my kids? You know, I bought my kid a car or I give my kids allowance. How do I write them off? Well, unfortunately the IRS says, no, you can't write off your kids. That's just a personal expense. Um, but then the question becomes, okay, how can we do that using real estate? You know, if you have a 14, 15 year old, who's helping you out with, um, Excel spreadsheets when you're analyzing deals. Well, if you paid them to help out in your business. Um, In other words, you've hired them in your real estate. Now it's a legitimate business expense. So you can take a write off for that. Um, The Only difference is, you know, before maybe you were just giving your son money for allowance. Now he's working for you so that you give him that money. That slight difference makes the money you give him uh, now a tax deductible item. So, you know, we're always looking at, okay, what are the money that you're spending on already, right? Kids, your car, cell phones, your primary home, those things that are generally non-deductible if all you have is a W-2 job. But now because you have W-2 and you have real estate investment, it potentially becomes um, a write-off, right? So, and, and, you know, especially for W-2 owners, if it's a married couple, husband and spouse are both W-2 you know, Especially in the tech industry, odds are you're at higher or highest income tax rates. And the higher the rate you are in, the more valuable the tax deduction, right? So if between federal and state, you're at 40% tax bracket, that means every $100 of deductions you find you're saving $40 in actual cash in your pocket. So the, you know, I always encourage people, just because you you, you have high income, um, it's even more important for you to start investing in real estate and getting the tax deductions.
0: It's such a great point. And one thing to note is while you don't buy real estate for tax purposes, you buy it for cash flow and for income, as you mentioned earlier, to to be able to have another income stream now that you have it and you're getting that income, you get to take advantage of these tax benefits and then reduce your overall taxable income. So it, it's how it, it's a layer, it's a multi-layered approach that is just giving you overall benefits.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause I think, you know, again, if you're someone, if your W-2 income, uh, if your total income is at 40%, and you know if you invested in stocks or you know other businesses then your you know your share of that income is generally taxed at 40 percent so is rental income but the difference being that with rental income we have write-offs and we have depreciation which essentially will wipe out or at least re- significantly reduce the taxes so you know if i made thousand dollars of rental income per month I get to keep 100% of that and I can reinvest it into more real estate versus if you made $1,000 of your W-2, odds are you're paying 30, 40% of that in taxes before you even see the rest of that money, right? So really important to always start um, you know, looking at an alternative or, or, or an additional source of income besides just what we're earning through work. Yep, such a
0: great point. Now, you mentioned depreciation. Can you share a little bit about how that works? And for, for, you know, an investor that has one house, how does that work and
1: what does that look like? Yeah, that's a great question. Cause I, I often people say, well Amanda, I'm, I'm investing to make money. You keep talking about losses and write-offs and, and that's where depreciation comes up. So, you know, first we say, okay, we have some rental income, we have regular expenses. Uh, and then the second tier of the strategy is how do we shift personal expenses into business deduction? Like we talked about with, you know, paying your kids or writing off part of your car and home office. So we bring that you know rental income down a little bit further. The third benefit is depreciation. So um, the the simple way to look at it is the IRS looks at real estate and says, if you buy a property. Um, we think that you will write uh, that the value will decrease of the property, and as a result, you can write off part of that purchase price every single year that you own the rental real estate. So if you have a hundred thousand property, maybe you write off two 000, three thousand dollars of that as depreciation expense that 's what we consider a paper loss, meaning it 's not really going down in value you 've not really spent any more money on it, but the IRS simply allows you to take a deduction for that write-off. And um, so it's, it's it's one of the the special tax perks of being a, you know, a real estate investment um, because depreciation generally is not allowed for stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. If you buy a stock, it's, you know, the value remains the same and until you sell it, you get to write it off. With real estate, we get to write off our purchase price little by little immediately. And so that's really great. Um, you know, even if your property is going up in value, which is what we see, you know, historically speaking, over the long run, real estate value does increase. Um, so, even though your real estate might be increasing in value, the IRS still allows you to take a deduction as if it was decreasing in value. So, a uh, you know, really, really great benefit. Um, the other benefit about depreciation that is very impactful is that the tax write-off is actually based on the purchase price of your rental property and not on the loan amount. So in our example, let's say that Mary went out and bought a rental property on Main Street for $100,000. She puts $20,000 down and gets an $80,000 loan. Well, the good news is depreciation is calculated based on her purchase price of $100,000 and not just her down payment of $20,000. So. You know, the, one of the ways to look at it as well, I'm actually getting a tax write-off for money that I haven't spent. I'm getting a write-off for part of the money that I borrowed from the bank as well. And so with that depreciation, maximizing write-offs, those are some of the major benefits on why real estate investment is typically considered, you know, tax loopholes of the rich or a tax-efficient investment
0: there was that big article, gosh, about six months ago about Jared Kucher and how he's not, you know, he's not making any income on taxes or, you know, basically he's showing a loss, but he's actually making money. And that's how, or one example of how.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's really interesting because yeah, I said, when I used to work at Deloitte and Touche, which is one of the big fours, you know, back in the days, um, uh, you know, that's what we did all, you know, all the time, right? You have someone who had a lot of income, uh, or maybe a married couple with one person having high income and it's like well at the end of the day they didn't pay much in taxes right so so how does that happen well that's how the tax rules are written fortunately uh, if you're an in- investor unfortunately if you're not an investor um but essentially you know the uh, what you're trying to do is in addition to building wealth as a real estate investor is is trying to take advantage of the tax loopholes right and and i i hesitate to use the word loopholes because it almost sounds a little bit bad you know (laughs) that you shouldn't be doing it Um, but effectively tax law is written that way that it allows investors to get these types of benefits um, that again are just not available for you know if you put your money in the stock market
0: now you talked about how real estate is a business and how you can look at personal expenses and deduct those as a result of owning a business. You talked about depreciation, which helps reduce your overall taxes. Can you share a little bit about if you were going to sell and you decided to use a 1031? Mm
1: -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, great question. So, and yet another benefit of real estate investing is when you sell a piece of property, Um, you can actually defer paying the taxes on that if you use what the IRS calls a 1031 exchange. Um, Essentially, if I sold, let's say I have a property on Main Street, I sell it, and I made a profit of $50,000. Normally, I would pay taxes on that, and then whatever is left over, I put in my pocket. Well, the IRS says, if you sell Main Street and you said, I don't want to take my cash back, but I do want to reinvest that money into other properties, um, then you can actually defer the tax on it. So if I sold and I have a gain of 50000 I could pay zero taxes on that, take all of my sales proceeds and reinvest that into one or multiple rental properties. So um, it's, a, a, it's a unique tax deferral benefit that is now only available for real estate investors. So before tax reform, um, that was available for certain types of businesses as well. After tax reform, one of the things they took away was anyone's ability to use that except for real estate. So as an investor, um, you know, if I sold a property, I can do a 1031 and replace it with, you know, a couple more properties. Let's say a couple years down the road, if I sell it, I could either pay the tax at that time or I can do another 1031 and then replace with, you know, four more properties. And so you can continue to do 1031 exchanges. There are no limitations to how frequent you can do it. And there are no limitations to the number of 1031 exchanges that you can do. So theoretically, you can use that across your entire lifetime and defer the taxes uh, until death. And when you pass away, what generally happens is that you get what's called a step-up basis. So that your beneficiaries, your kids, your grandkids, they can inherit the property and pay no capital gains taxes that occurred during your lifetime. So it's a really powerful um, generational planning tool as well as just deferring taxes today.
0: It's an amazing, like you said, generational wealth, leaving a legacy for your kids and your gran- grandkids. It's, it's amazing. So thank you for talking us through that. Now you mentioned, you talked about tax reform. What as you know there's confusion around you know all the changes that have recently happened what what does that actually mean for a real estate investor
1: yeah that's a so that's a great question and um, and actually the the good news is the vast majority of changes that came out of their tax reform has been favorable for real estate investors all of the limitations and the new restrictions that are unfavorable Uh, actually does not apply to investments. So, you know, in the news media, you hear a lot of discussions uh, about the new limitations on mortgage interest you know, that we can only deduct interest up to $750,000 worth of debt for our new, uh, you know, new primary homes you purchase. Um, Property taxes for any listeners that are in high taxing states, such as California, New York, um, you know, income tax and property tax are now limited. So the total tax you can deduct now is $10,000. So for anyone living in, you know, more expensive states, you know, a lot of times you might be paying 30, dollars $50,000 just in property taxes. And so the limitation now is that the maximum you can deduct is $10,000. And um, so, so, you know, naturally, initially we had a lot of calls from clients saying, oh my gosh, you know, I have a lot of debt on my rental properties. I obviously pay property taxes for my rental properties. What does that mean? Well, the good news is those limitations on mortgage interest and property taxes only apply to primary homes. Okay, so if you are an investor, there is no limit to how much mortgage interest you can deduct on your rental properties. So you can own a hotel with a $3 million debt, all of that interest is still deductible, just like it was before. Um, On your rental properties, all the property taxes that you pay during the year for the rentals are still deductible with no limitation. So that's not subject to the $10,000 limitation. So, you know, effectively, all the things that were taken away or were limited were with respect to primary homes and not with respect to rental property. So if you're a landlord um, or you invest in, you know, passively in the syndications or something like that, all of the interest and taxes are still deductible. In fact... Um, even for primary homes, there's a loophole. So we just talked about, you know, on, on a primary home, you you can't deduct the mortgage interest anymore if your debt is over 750000 right, for new homes. Um, now, let's say, though, that you, you bought a home in, you know, 2019. You refinanced on that home, and now your mortgage is beyond 750000 If you use the refinance money to invest in more real estate, that actually turns the interest from non-deductible interest into now deductible interest. So the way the IRS looks at it is, is, okay, uh, Nicole, for example, you you have a primary home loan, it's above the limit, so generally you can't write it off. But what did you use the loan money for, right? If you took out a loan and you use that money to invest in more rental properties, that actually becomes tax deductible once again. And so, you know, they, they, they even in the restrictions, they've built in loopholes for real estate investors to say, okay, well, if you're doing it for real estate, you can still deduct it. And we see that very, very uh, frequent or very often in recent years, especially, um, you know, across the nation, real estate values have gone up. So have primary home. So a lot of people are sitting on equity in their home that might not be doing anything, right? The equity is just sitting there. And so people are refinancing to tap into that cash and using that cash to invest in a rental property or to invest in a syndication. So when you do that, it's very important that you let your tax advisor know because then they can help you to turn that from a non-deductible interest into a legitimate business deduction. So again, we're talking about, you know, something that was personal, non-deductible, but you're doing it for real estate. So now it is a real estate business expense.
0: Wow. Okay. First of all, I had no, I had no idea. I don't live in, you know, uh, when I look at, I, I just, yeah, that's huge. And it's also a perfect example of why you have to be working with a CPA understands that because I think generally you're right. The media was talking about, you can no longer deduct over a certain amount. Gosh, people in California and New York are going to be hit really hard. And there is a strategy there. And it is almost like, it is amazing how many things in that were written to help investors, to encourage more real estate investing or other small business investing as
1: well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know another benefit that that you know you and I chatted about uh, right before the show was opportunity zone. Uh, that's a brand new tax benefit that came out um, that for the first time. You know we talked about a 1031 exchange, right, where you could sell real estate and reinvest in more real estate and, and defer the tax. And I, I just said that you 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 cannot do that with stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. Um, but a brand new tax benefit that came out under tax reform is called the opportunity zone and uh, that's kind of what i call the cousin to a 1031 exchange so it's very similar to a 1031 exchange the major difference one of the major differences is that it allows people to sell stocks and reinvest in real estate without paying the capital gains tax so you know if you're someone working in the tech industry You have some, uh, you know, you exercise some options a couple years ago and it's appreciated more. And now you want to sell. right? Let's say, you you know, you work for Google and you want to sell your Google stocks, but you're looking at a huge tax bill. Um, You know, you're you're going to sell $500,000 worth of stock and there's a $200,000 gain that's built in. Well, in the past, you have to pay taxes on that $200,000 gain. There are no ways around it. Um, Start under tax reform. You can actually, if you had a $200,000 gain you can reinvest $200,000 into real estate, um, certain types of real estate. And that helps you to defer the capital gains tax. Um, there are a lot of rules regarding you know, where the real estate is located and what kind of real estate and all that good stuff. Um, but it's important to know that for someone who's looking to move money from stocks to real estate, that's one of the ways to do so without paying any taxes currently.
0: Is there a time limit on that? Are we coming up on a deadline?
1: Um, well, yes and no. So the so there's actually a three-tier benefit to Opportunity Zone. Well, first off, I want to take a quick moment to say exactly what it is. So Opportunity Zone was a government incentive um, that came out. They basically wanted investors to put money into, you know, quote-unquote distressed areas within the nation. So they're across, you know, all, 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 all states and cities. Um, but but basically the opportunity zone is where a company goes out and invests in real estate that is low real estate or business that's located in these distressed areas and um so the first benefit is you get to defer the capital gains right we said you know sold five hundred thousand dollars for the stock i take two hundred thousand gain and put it in the opportunity zone um, if you hold the asset for five years Um, then you can permanently exclude 10% of capital gains. So, you know, $200,000, if I hold that investment for five years, then I only have to pay taxes on 90% of that money. If you hold it for two more years, a total of seven years, then you you can exclude up to 15%. So theoretically, the longer you hold your real estate investment in that ozone, the better it is. And the reason that exists is because the government wants you to keep that money, you know, in that distressed area longer rather than shorter. They don't want you to put it in and then just, you know, sell it or get rid of it in, in a year or two. So that's the reason um, that they allow for, uh, for you to defer the capital gains. The third benefit, which I, I think is actually the major benefit, is that if you hold that opportunity zone investment for at least 10 years, um, then you pay no capital gains at all on the appreciation of the property. So in our example, you know, we invested $200,000 into the opportunity zone. Let's say 10 years later, that asset is now worth $600,000, right? So it's appreciated by $400,000. Well, if I sell that asset 10 years later, I pay no taxes on that $400,000 capital gains ever. Don't ever have to pay taxes on that. So you can see the government is trying to incentivize you to go into the distressed area, you know, I mean, increase the value of it by making it really good. And the benefit is that you don't pay taxes on the gain of that opportunity zone. So there are time limitations to that. Um, You know, you don't have to, you don't have to hold it for five years or seven years or 10 years, but keep in mind um, if you don't hold those assets and you decide to sell it, you essentially pay the taxes when you sell. So in my, you know, in our example, we, we sold stocks, we have 200,000 of gain, we invested in this opportunity zone and we decided to sell in 2021. That's perfectly fine. But in 2021, then you'll pay the capital gains tax on that 200,000 that you were deferring. So, you know, not, not, not the best scenario, but also not the worst because you got to defer taxes for two, three years. Still. Right. Right.
0: It's such, it, there are so many strategies like this. It's, mm-hmm. it's amazing. And You need to be able to walk through and talk with someone. And I also love in the beginning, too, how you shared the question, um, how can we deduct our kids? How can we deduct our vacation? And that's a big part of what you talk about in your book as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, it's like, exactly. So how can we do these things? Because I have also, you know, we have a lot of clients that are um, high income earners, you know, a lot, especially in the tech space, right? So I I bring that up, because I know a lot of tech workers have a lot of stock uh, that's gone up in value. And that's always the question, you know, how can I move it to real estate and not pay capital gains tax? And like I said, unfortunately, in the past, it was like, well, you, would, you just have to, there is no 1031 exchange that allow you to do that. So now for the first time, you could potentially, you know, move some of that money over to real estate and not have to be hit with a huge capital gains tax. Um, the other benefit of that is you can actually keep some of your cash. You know, in our example, if, you know, Nicole, you sold $500,000 worth of stock and your gain was 200, well, you only invest 200 in the capital gain. You have $300,000 of additional cash from the sale and you can use that to do whatever you want. You can go on vacation, you can, uh, you know, buy more rental properties on your own that's not in the opportunity zone. So there are a lot of ways to access that money and, and you know, essentially pay no taxes today. So yeah, it's always, it's always good to ask you, you know, because I think when you ask the question of how can I, um, it helps to put your tax advisor a more of a strategic mindset right? and you know uh, so we tell this to our clients all the time and I tell that to myself sometimes I have a client that has a wacky question for me and my first response is no you can't do it but then I have to stop myself sometimes and say well okay but how can they it might be a crazy, you know, answer, um, but you know, maybe it works for that particular investor or for that particular taxpayer, um, because you never know. And when and we do a lot of presentations, and this is an interesting story. So we do a lot of uh, um, uh, tax uh, education classes, and uh, a lot of times we'll give pop quizzes for the audience just to keep them awake because tax is, you know, a, a somewhat dry uh, topic. Um, but one of the questions we ask is. Um, is uh, that, did you know what, a tax court allowed someone to take a deduction for their breast implants. (laughs) And so so someone said, hey, can I deduct my breast implants? I mean, Most of the time you're going to say no. Uh, But the question is, how can I, how can I do like my breast implants? And this is a, a, an interesting tax court case. I happened to be an entertainer um, who, you know, her, her breasts were like her, her main thing, her persona, if you will. So I said, yeah, that is, that's a legitimate business reason as to why you can deduct it. So you can see it's, you know, the deductibility of something is really different taxpayer to taxpayer. So don't immediately assume you can't do something, ask her, tax person and plan to say, how can I? Maybe you can, maybe you can't, but, you know, kind of put your creative hat on first to figure out, is that something I can do?
0: It's great advice to ask your tax advisor that way. How can I, and like you said, puts them in the strategic mindset. What other advice would you give when folks are looking for a tax advisor who understands all of these strategies? Because I guess if I were to back up and talk about the generalist tax person that we worked with, we just asked someone for a referral and Mm -hmm. and we worked with a guy and he was fine, but we never asked these questions and it's almost like how do you interview who could potentially be your tax advisor? What would you recommend people ask and look for?
1: That's a good question. So yeah, I think you definitely want to stay away from the generalist because um, you know tax law is so complicated. you know, with tax reform, I mean, even for our office, even though we specialize in real estate, there are a lot of things we have to research, even, even today, there's always little nuances that come up. And so if you just work with a generalist, you can imagine, you know, if they are also dealing in food and beverage or service providers or healthcare and real estate, you can imagine, you know, how much they would have to learn quickly about, you know, new changes coming up. And um, so, yeah, in terms of interviewing, I mean, definitely, you know, referrals from other investors is a big one, right? It's one thing to get referrals from your friend or your coworker, but referrals from other networks um, of people that you trust or you look up to who are in the real estate industry, find out who they're working with. And also when you interview CPAs, find out, you know, find out about um, their knowledge in real estate, right? Because I know real estate investors, a lot of times we have special terms that we use, you know, depreciation or refinance or closing disclosures. And, um, you know, if you're talking to them and they have a blank stare, you know, they're not really sure what you're talking about. um, That's probably a good sign that that's not the right person that, you know, to work with, Um, you know, maybe find out if they invest in real estate, you know, what's, what's their personal, um, personal insight into real estate. I, I, for me, my personal experience is to try to w- stay away from, um, tax advisors who also sell investments. What I mean by that is there are a lot of CPAs who are also licensed to do financial planning, uh, where they can sell or help you invest stocks, bonds, and mutual funds where they get paid a commission, um, generally what I've seen, there's a huge um, issue because uh, those people don't really want you to have money in real estate, right? Because if that's money that would otherwise go into brokerage accounts where they get a commission cut from. So not to say that's always the case, but the vast majority of the time, um, those CPAs would be anti real estate. And that's what you want to stay away from. So you want to stay away from people who are saying real estate is very risky, you know, real estate, you can lose a lot of money in real estate or that they don't understand real estate. You just don't ever want to be someone's test client where they're learning depreciation based on your tax return or they're learning 1031 exchange because you are their first client. Um, Just like you wouldn't go to a generalist for, you know, heart surgery, right? You want to know, Hey, this is this guy. All he does is heart surgery, specific type of heart surgery. That's who I'm going to. And it's kind of the same thought process when it comes to, um, you know, real estate CPAs.
0: You provided so many great examples there and you're right. You don't want to be someone's Guinea pig. And then the other piece I liked is, that consideration that when you're working with a tax advisor, you really want them to be a neutral, they're there, focused on you and what's in your best interest, nothing else. So that's a great, great point. Mm -hmm. Where uh, Where can our listeners get in touch with you or learn
1: more? Yeah, well, um, so our website is www.keystonecpa.com. It's K-E-Y-S-T-O-N-E-C-P-A.com. Uh, we have uh, some great free downloadable resources um, that you can check out directly on our website. And of course, if you you know, haven't done so, I definitely invite you to check out our book um, that is Tax Strategies for the Savvy Real Estate Investor. Um, and you can find that on Amazon. Um, so we, you know, we try to, uh, we try to write a book about taxes, but have it be more of a story format, um, where we use, you know, actual client examples. So you can kind of see the impact of one strategy versus another. And, um, so yeah, definitely, I definitely recommend that's a great place to start. You know, if you're just starting out in real estate, you know, not trying to understand what can I do, Doug? Do I need to have an LLC or not? You know, what is, you know, how can I use my retirement money for real estate? Uh, it's a really great place to start to get kind of some of the answers so, so that you can have a, you know, a um, uh, impactful conversation next time you meet with your tax advisor.
0: I highly recommend that book. That was eye-opening for me. So definitely check it out. Thanks so much for joining us on the show today, Amanda. It was really great, as always, to learn from you and get the latest information as to what's happening with taxes.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Nicole.
0: Thanks for tuning in to the Richer Geek Podcast today's show notes, including links and resources, visit us at TheRicherGeek.com. Don't forget to head over to iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts and hit the subscribe button. Help us spread the word by sharing with others who could benefit from listening and leave a rating and review. That'll help us get the podcast in front of more people. I appreciate you. Thanks so much for listening.